0: O Lord, we come to You now as we approach Your Word. We ask that You would send Your Spirit afresh to open our hearts and our minds that we might see who You are rightly, that we might know the Lord Jesus Christ and in Your Spirit's power we may live to obey You in all that we do and say. We pray this in the strong name of Christ our King. Amen. I invite you to turn with me to our passage this morning in Daniel, the fourth chapter. As you're turning there or finding your bulletin insert, I'll give you a little bit of context. We're nearing the end of this sermon series in Daniel. And a lot has happened since that fiery furnace Barry preached on last week from chapter 3. For starters, King Nebuchadnezzar has been visited by God a second time, receiving a dream. The beginning of chapter 4 shows us the king in great distress and alarm because of the visions that he sees. He sees a great tree that spans across the whole earth, that reaches even up to heaven. A tree that lends shade to the whole world, that grants food and rest to those who dwell under it. But suddenly, a messenger from heaven comes down and pronounces judgment on the tree, so that it is to be felled all the way to a stump and with only the stump and roots remaining the tree then is completely devoid of its majesty until quote heaven should relent following this nebuchadnezzar does what all the good babylonian kings do they parade in the magicians the enchanters the prophets to no avail none can see what the dream really means. But upon their failure, of course, our hero, the namesake of the book, Daniel, steps in, though he's called Belteshazzar in our passage and a couple of times through the book. Don't be alarmed, that's just the Chaldean name given to him. But Daniel steps in, finally coming, what seems, to the king's rescue, to give the interpretation. Though we quickly learn that the dream is actually foretelling the king's demise. The last words from Daniel ring true even for all of us this morning. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed and the poor that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Now, there's nearly been a year that passes by between that pronouncement and our passage this morning, as we'll see. But King Nebuchadnezzar continues in his way, refusing, as it were, to repent. And so now we find ourselves waiting to see what will come of this prophecy. Will God's Word bear forth in truth? And that's exactly where our passage begins. Verse 28 of chapter 4. I'll read those words for us. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he was walking on the roof of the palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, There fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. And you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. Immediately, The word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. For all his works are right, and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able." To humble. It's like I pose to the children. Have you had a vivid dream lately? Or maybe a bad nightmare? I remember distinctly suffering from a span of bad nightmares for about a year and a half. I'm not saying anything about my parents. They're wonderful parents. But after watching Stephen King's movie, It, when I was nine... I repeatedly had the same nightmare over and over and over again, day after day, seemingly to no end, for about a year and a half. And without getting into details, I envisioned every night this horrible clown-like thing chasing after me until I woke up in a sweat, sorely afraid. And as if that weren't enough, they began to bridge the gap. And as my mind went idle during the day, I would daydream and vision it even to that distress and alarm that had wrapped me up in the night. Now, I'm sure you've experienced the same kind of thing, a bad dream or nightmare, where you wake up suddenly and you're sorely afraid because you're wondering, as I often did, what was real and what was not. In that moment right when you wake up alarmed because you've seen fanciful things and you're praying to the good Lord, I hope that is behind me. The rest of the day you might be slightly on edge wondering, not the choir, but wondering what might pop out from behind you. You see, this is precisely where we find the king of Babylon in our passage. So, a bit differently, uh, this type of dream, one given by God, is called a, a mantic dream, just a technical term. That's, it's a dream of prophecy or foretelling. So, not only does Nebuchadnezzar have the weight of, are these alarming things going to happen, but he has the weight of, there's a real possibility that the divine is speaking to me and will carry out these dreams. You know, Nebuchadnezzar enjoys a lifestyle much like we do in America today. We live often in the freedom of our own will. We do and go as we please. There's little that we lack by way of daily necessity. Most of us are keenly unaware of how chaotic the world really can be. The world that we see on the nightly news, warring countries in disarray and unrest. As far as our day-to-day lives, that doesn't really touch us or impact us. Day by day, time just keeps marching on for us as it did for the king. And we see in our passage the real heart posture of King Nebuchadnezzar. Notice in verse 28, our passage picks up and tells us that all this came upon the king at the end of 12 months. That's an interesting point. Nearly a year has gone by. Wouldn't that be the case for any of us? Think about a major decision you may have to make. Something that you're wrestling with, wondering how this or that will play out. And then what if we had to wait an entire year? A very difficult thing to do, but the king is walking on the rooftop palace. Now maybe you all don't have a rooftop palace, I certainly don't. But we can relate in the sense that he has free time. A great luxury that a lot of the world doesn't have. But he's walking in the cool of the day, pondering what his life is about and where it will go. And he finally comes to the conclusion, Is not this great Babylon that I have made by my great power for my majesty? He finally determines, that dream isn't going to come to pass. That was a year ago. Nothing has happened. I'm I'm doing just fine. Can I really trust The words of that Hebrew and his God? I mean, isn't that just a dream anyway? Our society would say, that's so unscientific. All that's just hocus pocus. How much of the king's thinking may reflect our own? Things just happen the way that they do, right? I need to live my life for today, or more importantly, our world might add, I need to live my life for me Today. I can't be worried with what God has said. Where's He been for the last year anyway? The king concludes often as we do I can choose to live my life now how I want to. And isn't that part of the American dream? You're the arbiter of your own destiny. Why listen to God? If if you want to do something or accomplish something, then just work hard and do it. But We need to pause for a moment and notice that the king has had a great reversal in his thinking. Just a few short verses ago, even though a year has gone by, the writer of Daniel doesn't want us to miss the proximity of these two thought processes. Look back at the first verses of chapter 4. There we read, King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are His signs! How mighty His wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. But now he exclaims, this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power for my majesty. Let's remember, this is the king like we saw last week who has seen one like a son of the gods in the midst of that fiery furnace delivering Daniel's friends miraculously from that judgment. He's seen it with his own eyes. He's the one even to step forward and say, hey guys, something's off in the furnace. They're not not dying. Bring them out here. He proclaims the majesty of God, the great power that He displays over all things. Yet now, He decisively rejects God's position as ruler over all. He's the tree that's grown too tall. He is the tree that will be chopped down He's forgotten the fundamental truth from his dream that we read back in verse 17 as Daniel pronounces to him the sentence By the sentence is by the decree of the watchers to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. You see, Nebuchadnezzar in his pride has forgotten that. That God is the One who sets up kings in their place and removes them as He wills. How often do our own hearts betray that kind of wayward doubt? We look at the world, especially in today's world, and we can wonder these same things. We can easily say with the psalmist those words we find in Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Pride is their necklace, violence covers them as a garment. They scoff and speak malice, loftily they threaten oppression. They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongues strut through all the earth. They say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? All in vain, I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Doesn't that resonate with you? It does with me as we look at the world, as we look to our nightly news. We see all kinds of destruction and suffering and corruption and evil and violence day after day after day. How could we not wonder, where's God? What is He doing in the midst of all of this? Does God even know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? But I think if we're honest, even in ourselves, we notice the difficulty of trusting God as truthful, as righteous, as loving and gracious, as one that we should call Father. We look around us, and we often can wonder, What's the point? There's nothing new under the sun. It hasn't changed for all of human history. War, after war, after war, after war. But then something miraculous happens. The Word of God interrupts through everything. Our text continues in verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will." Twelve months of wondering had gone by. An entire year left in silence. Will this dream come true? What is God doing anyway? You see, the king had finally taken it upon himself to declare that he was the victor. That the dream would not come true. That he would decide for himself the way that was right. But even while he was speaking the boastful words, while they were still in his mouth, God pierced through the silence. He intervened with a voice from heaven, exactly as the dream had prescribed. The judgment of God comes upon this man, and particularly for his sin, the Scripture continues, immediately. It came to pass. He was driven into the wilderness by his sin, even given the mind of a beast. We don't read that in our part of the passage, but before as Daniel decreed what the interpretation was. This man's mind, the mind of a human being, a good and reasoning soul, was exchanged for the brutish mind of an animal. At this point... Old Testament scholar and Erskine Seminary professor George Schwab, he he looks at this and likens this situation to Paul's discussion in Romans 1, where Paul writes about God revealing His will against ungodliness. We read there in verse 18, beginning in verse 18, "...the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth." Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. Don't you see Nebuchadnezzar in this passage? He's worshiping images rather than God Almighty, exchanging the truth of who God is for a lie, suppressing that truth, worshiping himself even instead of God. And God gave him a debased mind. But why, we might ask? Beloved, I believe it's because God is infinite in his love and his mercy, and he's decided to demonstrate to this king the end result of his worldview. He brings the king's circumstances in life into conformity with the beastly reality of his mind. There on his resplendent rooftop with everything in the world at his disposal, the king acted like a wild beast in his thinking. So God sent him out amongst the beasts. Aren't we all on some level like the King? Aren't we all in the sinfulness of our hearts at some point given over to that idol of self? We want to do what we want to do. Let's notice what the rest of Psalm 73 tells us. When I thought, How to understand this? It seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. They are destroyed in a moment, swept away by terrors like a dream when one awakes. O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. But nevertheless, I am continually with you because you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. The psalmist tells us that everything comes into focus when we are confronted with God's presence. When we enter into the sanctuary of God, when we hear God's word like Nebuchadnezzar heard the voice proclaiming from heaven, everything makes sense. We don't get all the answers, but we have the right perspective. And it takes a divine intervention to truly understand that we, like Nebuchadnezzar, are a beast in a field. I would argue then that the only dream that should concern us is the one that we may be living out in real life. If you are apart from God, the scripture tells us that you are like a beast in a field, you're without hope, destitute. Listen to the way that Dr. Schwab concludes later in that helpful commentary on Daniel, which is entitled, by the way, Hope in the Midst of a Hostile World. It's a great little book on the book of Daniel. In the Bible, insanity is variously associated with pride and willful rebellion against God, and therefore, of course, against reality itself. All sin is insanity. Nothing is more bizarre than sin. In a sense, any person who sins is disconnected from reality and not completely sane. Repentance, then, is the real cure, the only way to true sanity. Do you hear that? Has that taken hold in your heart and mind? Our sin is insanity. Any life apart from God is really an apparition. It's a mirage. It's a fleeting reality. Sin has decidedly separated us from the Almighty. And in our sin, we will die. And not merely die, but come under eternal punishment for our rebellious living. We will reap that painful reward For our insane existence, apart from God, there is only pain and death and hell. Beloved, if this is beginning to sound like a scary dream or a nightmare, then my point is being made. This is reality as the Scriptures present it. But brothers and sisters, notice What the end of the passage holds, I plead with you, do not stop with Nebuchadnezzar out in the field, insane, acting like a beast. The good news of the gospel comes to bear even here, even in our own lives of questions and worry and doubt and anxiety. Then all of a sudden, as it were, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, And my reason returned to me. The same word for sanity. My reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. What I love about this passage is that it gives us such a clear picture of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Even in God's dealing with a foreign, pagan, rebellious monarch. And what's the Gospel? you may ask. Well, we need to note it's not Nebuchadnezzar doing or saying something to regain his sanity. It's not Nebuchadnezzar working on his own behalf in order to gain God's favor and trust again. His sanity returns to him, our text tells us, because God gives him a clear vision of heaven. And we need to understand that heaven in this dream interaction is personified to represent God's presence and God's actions, God's voice. Notice what verse 26 says right before our passage. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar, shall be confirmed from the time that you know that heaven rules. That's the gospel for us this morning. God's Word has come down again afresh to us in our passage, much like the messenger has interrupted the king's life. God is king over all the Most High rules. Do you see this clearly? Have you repented of your own rebellious and yet futile rule? Do we see ourselves like the psalmist A beast before God in our sin. Whom have you in heaven but God? Is there anything that you desire besides Him? Beloved, I can tell you, your flesh and your heart will fail. There are things in this life that will drive us to despair. And we will not be able to wake up, as it were, from a bad dream. You know these realities. The death of a loved one. A dear and precious friend battling through cancer. Never ending. You know the pain of this life. And the psalmist reminds us, our flesh and heart will Fail we will not have all the answers. We will not be able to bear up under the adversity of this life. Oh, but God is the strength of our heart. The Lord God is our refuge. He is the ever-present help in times of trouble. He could have left Nebuchadnezzar as a wild animal running around like a crazy person, but He didn't. He could have left us in our sin without hope, but He didn't. God so graciously and lovingly came to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He made Himself known. He disclosed the good end of history that nothing in all the world can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Not even your own sinful heart. Not even my own rebellious nature. God can triumph over sin and death and hell. He's reminding us this morning who He is. He's reminding us what He has done for us. Let us be like the psalmist. Let us proclaim that it is good to be near to God. Let us make the Lord God our refuge and tell of all His works. Isn't that what Nebuchadnezzar does when he wakes up from the nightmare of his life? Before he dies, the Scripture gives us his testimony in verse 37. There we read, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor The King of heaven, for all His works are right and His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. Can you say that same thing this morning? Is that your testimony? May that be true of all of our lives. To God's glory and honor. And for our good. Amen and amen.